1 John uh, chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 3 through 11. Uh, I'll read them first and then we'll talk. Um, mouth trying to get dry on me. I was drinking water, but it's still a little dry. Here we go. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He, has saith, I, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. <clears throat> Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Speaking of our Lord. Said, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. And he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. You know, Jesus taught uh, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, speaking in that passage about to whom much is given, much is required. And basically, the same thing that John is speaking of here, and that is that with privilege comes responsibility. Um, you can uh, the the thing that we're, we've seen in the first few verses of chapter, especially all through chapter one, but we talked yesterday or last week in verses one and two, it talks about the provisions that we have from God through our Lord Jesus Christ, when it described our Lord Jesus, that we have an advocate with the Father, even uh, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So that we actually, you know, the more you think about that, that God, the Son, sits there and advocates for you. You know, uh, it just it's just amazing thought when you get to thinking about having a lawyer, if you will, and that lawyer is God the Son. Amen. You know, um, you know, and he speaks to God the Father. You know, now if you were really in serious trouble or potentially serious trouble and your lawyer was the favorite son of the judge, would you feel a little better about the situation? You know, but the neat thing about us is the fact because of the love of the Son, we're actually not guilty. Now, we're as guilty as sin, but the debt's been paid. We have an accuser, which is Satan, who accuses us. But the thing is, the Lord Jesus said, yes, sir. And, you're, and the penalty for sin is death, and that death was paid. He took our place on the cross. And so the debt's settled, and that's the reason God is able to be justified He's just in being able to justify us. And he's able to throw it into the sea of God's forgiveness. It's like, well, that, that business is done. And now that's off the table. And it's an amazing thing. 
And, and that, uh, and when we pray in Jesus' name, going before the Father, you know, what right does a sinner have to come before the throne of grace and ask for anything? But the thing is, because that's all been took care of, care of and thrown into the sea of God's forgetfulness, thrown as far away as the east is from the west, when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, just as he's willing to listen to his son, we're his adopted children and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so he's talked about our provisions through Christ. And now as we get to thinking of that great position that we have, the great provisions that we have, we need to realize that with that comes responsibilities. Um, in the, the verses 3 through 5, he's talking about the believer's assurance and the key word in the little book of First John is the word know. 38 times in the little four-chapter book, uh, four or five-chapter book is five, uh, the word know is used. God wants us to know something, not the N-O word, but the K-N-O-W. He wants us to know something. And what's interesting is that in the first three verses, verses three through five, the word know is used four different times. And so God wants us to know something. Um, and what's, what's really important to know is to the realization that there are a lot of folks in church today who believe they're saved or say they're saved and they're not. And the thing is, it would be a terrible situation to sit through an entire lifetime of sitting in church hearing the word of God and either be deceived or just putting it off or whatever the situation is and then die and go to a devil's hell all the time armed with the information that Jesus Christ had died for you on the cross. So it's always good for us as individuals to consider, and that's what John wants us to do, but also think with me how many loved ones you have, people you deeply care about, who when you try to talk to them about Christ, they try to assure you they've already took care of business. But the trouble is there's no fruit. And so one of the things that I have found, I've got some relatives that would honestly like to believe that everybody that's in their family is saved. And I don't know if it's because it just helps them sleep better at night to think that, or is it because it alleviates them of their responsibility to be aggressive in trying to soul win to them. But, you know, as we reflect on what the Word of God says, we need to do self-examination to make sure we're truly saved. But then also the realization that the Word of God should help reveal us. The, the Bible, Jesus said, we'll know people by their fruit. We'll know the tree by the fruit. We'll know people by the fruit. And if we see a lack of fruit, it ought to help us be thoughtful as far as our, our consideration of their testimony. Are they truly saved? You know, we're not their judge, but we ought to care enough to want to know that they're saved. Not just think that they're saved, but there is fruit that backs up their testimony. And if that fruit is lacking, then we need to be aggressive in trying to share the good news with you. My personal philosophy is if I don't see the fruit, my prayer life for you and my actions towards you, I'm just going to assume you're lost. I'm not going to, you know, treat you any, you know, I love everybody. 
or try to love everybody that I can. But I don't want to just assume you're saved because you said you're saved and somehow so, you know, soothe my conscience, conscience and not witness like I should and not pray like I should until I can see the fruits that support it. My younger brother, from the time he was about 12 years old, thought he was saved. Every time I'd witness with him, he'd say he was saved. Well, he's three, he's three years younger than me, so he's 56. Uh, in fact, this month he'll be 56. Um, the thing is, he got saved two years ago. And his wife thought she was saved as well, and they both got saved at the same time. Their church was preaching a series of lessons on the, on the tribulation. And they both became convicted of the realization they never truly were saved. And they got saved about two years ago, maybe three now. And I praise God. And the thing is, she's teaching children in, ch- in Sunday school. He's doing the same thing Brother Henry and them do with the bus, the carts and stuff, going out and picking up people. And he's at every one of the events, working, doing you know the ushering jobs and stuff. They're faithful to the Lord's house. They're faithful to serve the Lord. Guess what? Rick feels a whole lot better seeing the fruits of salvation. And, and, and then in a conversation, it's about their church. It's about the Lord. It's about the things that are going on and their excitement about things like that. That, that encourages my heart. And uh, I've got another brother I yet need to see that in. And, uh, and I, I got to just pray and work toward that end. But like I said, John, in these verses, he, he sits there and he says that um, John wants them to know their true spiritual condition. Three times in these verses, John uses a phrase, he that saith. In other words, in verses 4, verses 6, and verse 9, in other words, there's a lot of people out there that says, I'm saved. And yet their life doesn't show any fruit of it. My first pastor had a phrase that he liked to use a lot. He said, what I say is my philosophy. What I do is my faith. And he said, the two ought to be intertwined. But you and I all know that sometimes that's not the case, right? And, and so that's what he's trying to get these people in these verses. Here's an elderly saint of God who loves the Lord and loves people. And he's trying to get folks who might be deceived into believing that they're really saved to stop and think about it. Because the last thing the Lord wants you to, you know, God says that, or that you know, uh, Paul said that God's not the author of confusion. So if someone is deceived, that they're unsure about their situation as far as salvation, that's not God. That's not the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's Satan's influence, trying to you know, cause that doubt. And sometimes pride keeps us from doing it. My mom, my dad and mom got right with the Lord when they were about age 50. My, mom, my dad became a deacon. My mom and dad both taught Sunday school. They did a lot of different things. But my mom kept having doubts. She was 70 years old when she finally got saved. The thing is, for 20 years, she lived with those doubts. But she wasn't promised those 20 years from age 50 to age 70. She wasn't promised those 20 years to sit there and be in doubt. I praise God that he gave her the time. But then she came to the saving night. And she was a changed woman 
from that time that she got saved at 70 until she passed away at age 75. There was a difference in her. And so, um, like I said, John is tenderly, lovingly trying to get people to uh, test uh, and examine their profession to see if it's true. And according to verse, through, uh, through verses 3 and 5, obedience is an evidence of conversion, of salvation. And we'll read the verses again. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Notice that's in the plural. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So, again, our that phrase I used to say that I said earlier that uh, what I say is my philosophy, but what I do is my faith. What I do is my character. Would you agree with me? You know, it's my care. You know, what you see me do is one thing, and what I do in the privacy when no one else can see me, it reveals my character. And the thing is, what do we become in Christ when we get saved? A new creature. And so there's going to be a new conduct. There's going to be an understanding that even in private, when no one else is there but me and that computer and I'm deciding which sites I'm going to go to, or when no one else is in the house and I'm deciding what shows I'm going to watch on TV, or no one's there and I'm deciding what I'm going to read, or no one's around and I'm deciding what places I'm going to, guess what? If you're saved, you're not going there by yourself. You're never by yourself. God, the Holy Spirit's right there in your heart. And you're not going to feel good if it's the wrong place. God has a surefire method of lighting you up. And, uh, and he will. And, uh, cause he loves you. And, and so the thing is, if God, God's gonna deal with his children, and if you're not being dealt with, then you need to realize that you're probably not truly saved. And God says that as lovingly as he possibly can. He doesn't want anyone confused. And if we have loved ones that say they're saved, and yet, you know, there's just, no telling where they're at on Friday night or Saturday night and all the other things like that. We need to look at the fruits, love them dearly, but love them enough to be aggressive in sharing the good news with them and assuming that the fruits will bear out because conduct will show what their character is. And without the new birth, our character isn't very good. You know, we need the grace of God in our lives to be able to live successfully. Uh, for Christ. Um, in verse 6, is sharing with us that when Jesus became flesh, you know, it wasn't just so that he could die for us, but it was also to show man what he ought to be. Basically, Christ uh, is, we should imitate Christ because he's our great example. He says, he that saith, again, he's using that phrase, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Um, some would say John's asking too much. You know, no one can do what he did. Well, Martin Luther answered this question in a way. He said, it is not Christ walking on the sea, but his ordinary walk that we are called on here to imitate. 
In other words, we're not asked to do the miracles that Christ did, but his patience for people, his love for people, his long-suffering, um, his going out. I mean, he physically exalted. Several times he tried to get his disciples away because they said there wasn't even time to eat. There was so much action going on, so much interaction with other people. He tried to get the folks away to a desert place so they could take a little R&R, and the people followed him. And you never saw the Lord throw up his hands, and he just went to work ministering in their lives. And so it, it was. it's that patience, that's that love that we're supposed to imitate. Um, and the thing is, we know that we can do it. We can imitate the, the life of Christ, not the miracles, but the, the way he loved people. You know how we can know we can do it? Because we were commanded to do it. Now, it takes the grace of God in our hearts to do it. We're not going to do it in the flesh, that's for sure. But if God commands us to do it, will God ever tell you to do something, command you to do something you can't do? Now, we probably will not ever do it perfectly, that's for sure. In fact, we'll fall short many a time. Because we're in the flesh. But it ought to be our goal. God, like our pastor says many a time, motive means a lot to God. What is your motive for what you're doing and how you're treating people? You know, I've used the illustration many a time in teaching and stuff. There is a whole lot difference. Like when you slip up north, when we lived up north in Ohio, it get icy. You could guarantee one day, at least once a year, walking into church in your Sunday best, you were going to slip and fall in that black, muddy water. Uh, and just, you know, just really do your clothes a nice service. But guess what the first thing you do when you slip and fall like that? What's, what's the first thing you do? After you get up real quick, right? You jump up. You try to jump. First, if you, if you didn't hurt something real bad, you jump up. Miss Darlene may not have jumped right up, but... Um, but if you didn't, if you didn't break something, you jump up real quick and then you look around and see if anyone saw you because you're embarrassed, right? And as a Christian, when we slip and fall, we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed with, uh, to our Lord, even if no one else saw it. We're embarrassed because we know what Christians should, we know what our relationship, our fellowship with the Father ought to be and we, we're embarrassed. So there is a big difference between slipping and falling and laying down in sin. And, um, so we're commanded to do it. And it says, uh, it's, you know, Christ is not only our example, but we also ought to realize he's our Lord. You know, we take that great privilege of knowing that he's advocating for us, but we also need to always remember why is he able to advocate for us? It's because he died as our substitute on the cross. And that debt should always be at the front of our mind. Uh, and a love. Realize he went to the cross out of love, so we ought to obey his commandments out of love. And so we need to always remember that he's our Lord. And a man named Guy King wrote the following statement. He says, that word ought is often a great comfort to me because ought spells can. It also spells should. The, the Greek word translated ought means to owe, to be in debt for, to be under obligation, bound by duty or necessity to do something. 
So when he says we ought to do it, now in modern times we might say, well, you really ought to do that. And we may not put the emphasis on it that the, the Bible's putting on it. The Bible's telling us you got an obligation because of what Christ has done for you. There's been a debt paid. There's a debt you owe. Now, it doesn't get you saved. You're not serving God to get saved. You're serving God because you are saved. And so out of love, we ought to try to walk as Christ walked. Give me a chance to turn a page here. And in verse 11, uh, 7 through 11, um, John begins talking about, uh, he's been talking about the commandments in verse 3. Again, he, he uses the plural, you know, it's commandments. But in these verses here, he's going to distill all of it down to one word, and that one word is love. That the way to fulfill the commandments that Christ has given us is we do it out of love and we show it by love. And we'll look at these verses again and we'll talk about them. It says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Now, that old word was the Lord Jesus Christ when he spoke in John 13 and verse 34. And we'll turn there off. You can turn there if you like, and I'll read it to you in just a minute. But so they had it from that time, and John heard it. And then he says, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because in dark, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. Now, a lot of people have been confused by the fact that he says, I don't write a new commandment to you, but then I, I am writing a new commandment. I'm giving you a new commandment. Well, what he's basically doing is he's 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 reminding them that Jesus said it first, and he's reminding them of it right now. He's just bring he's just focusing them in again that they're gonna. Let me just read the verse for you. Excuse me, just a second. Let me find my spot here. Yeah, in John uh, 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, they had heard it from the beginning, but John again is re-illustrating that if you want to obey the Lord's commandments the way it's going to be, shown is your love your love for christ is going to drive you to be obedient and that obedience is going to be shown forth in love for others he goes on and says verse 9 he that saith and again there's that phrase he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is no none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, I've, uh, again, all through this still, John is trying to draw very clear contrast. Look at your heart. Look at... Look at the way 
If, it is, if it's not you as an individual, your loved ones that you're concerned about, that they're not truly saved, but they're saying they are, but then look at their actions. If they're holding hatred in their heart, if they're holding bitterness in their heart, God is sitting there saying, um, how, how does that work out? How can you be so thankful for your salvation and everything God forgave you for, and yet you're clinging to this hatred, to this bitterness? Uh, he, he's asking us to do that, that examination and to realize that if we're saved and we're doing it, it's a sin. And we need to go to the throne and we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to ask for the grace and we need to let go of that bitterness. If we're not convicted in your heart about holding on to bitterness and stuff, we need to realize there's a real good chance you don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart to begin with to give you that conviction. John is wanting everyone to just do this self-examination and realize, are you truly in the faith or not? Uh, A.W. Pink made a, wrote, he says, Love hath now been manifested, yea, personified as never before. Christ displayed a love superior to the faults of its objects. Isn't that an amazing statement? He loved us so much. He went to the cross while we were yet sinners. He, he loves us beyond our worth. We can't even, you know, as I try to look at this thing, it just, it, it, there's just some marvel. To, how much must God really love you? Because I look at what, I, what do I have to offer a God that spoke and worlds were created? I mean, it's like, you know, I pull a pencil out of my pocket and Brother John says, well, I'll buy that for $100,000. Well, I guarantee you he's ha he gets it, you know, because it's only worth about 25 cents. Well, why would you pay 25 cents for a hundred, or pay me $100,000 for a 25 cent pencil? But God the Son went to the cross for me. You know, why? You know, it's that love is just amazing. Amen. You know, it, it, it just it just it rocks me to my core when I get to thinking about it and just realize his love for me. I'm the object of his love. And what what merit is there in me? And yet he loved me to get enough to go to the cross for me. And that ought to break my heart toward obedience to him and, and serve, you know, serve him not to get saved, but because I am saved and because I've been so loved. And again, he says, Christ has displayed a love superior to the faults of its objects, a love which never varied, a love which deemed no sacrifice too great. But then Jesus turns around and in the scripture that we just read in uh, John thirteen thirty four, he tells us that for his followers to go and do likewise. That's the reason it's so unnatural for us to hold on to hatred. Realize how little real worth we have, and yet Christ died for us. And has made his joint heirs with God, Jesus Christ, has promised us that we'll, we'll walk on streets made out of gold, and there's so little worth to me, and yet Christ died for me. God loved me so much, he sent his son. 
Jesus loved me so much that he went. God the Holy Spirit loved me so much that he's willing to walk in this filthy flesh and work with me. I mean, I am loved by all three persons of the Godhead. And the thing is, how dare I then not love others? And the lack of that love is a sign that I need to either humble myself and ask God to forgive me and get the grace that I need to walk closer to my Lord. Or if I'm not under conviction about it, I need to self-examine myself. Am I truly in the faith? And that's what um, John is hoping that we'll stop and do. Another man wrote about uh, a person that still hateth his brother's a man named uh, H.E. Dana, back in 1937, he made this quote. He said, He is like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat which is not there. And he goes, that's, that's a bad shape to be in, isn't it? In other words, that's how dark and how deceived we really are if we're still hanging on to hatred. We, we need to just examine ourselves with the love that's been extended to us. If we just do that examination, how much love did it take? Because we're bad about putting too much worth on ourselves, aren't we? I know I am. Pride is just something that I have to fight all the time. Somehow, I, you know, well, of course Jesus died for me. Well, why in the world would God, Jesus die for me is what I ought to say. But we have this bad habit of thinking somehow I'm worth something. And because of that, how dare this person offend me or this person hurt me or anything else. You know, and then I hang on to it. I won't let go of it. And as a Christian, we need to realize that what love has been so extended to us is the same love that we need to walk this earth in, and that'll give us the compassion that we need for the loss and the dying that are around us, those that need Christ. And John is just trying to get us to examine ourselves. If we say it, then we need to support it with the conduct in our life. I want to thank you all for your good attention tonight.